This is Renegade's Roundup. Your best source for recaps, info, and discussions about the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Zach. Hey, what's up, Hellraisers? It's time to raise some hell again. It's time for another edition of Renegades Roundup. This one is going to be a little bit more condensed. It's going to be a little bit more to the point. And to help us drive those points home, we've got some really great discussion topics. We're going to be taking a look around the league at this uh, XFL season that is right around the corner. We're also going to be taking a look at the Renegades 51-man roster that was officially announced as well as some uh, players to watch out for that are on that 51-man roster. One of the other segments that we're going to be doing includes a player profile, and it's going to be a pretty obvious one this week as we get ready for week number one. But then as we go deeper into the season, who knows who else may show up. That and a preview slash predictions for this week one matchup against the Vegas Vipers is all the stuff you can look forward to here on Renegades Roundup. My name is Zach, and joining me back for more fun as he was last week uh, it's a little bit later than uh, he probably was anticipating, but uh, we've got to get the schedule in and get the recording in as quickly as we can so that we can pump this content out for you guys. Joe, what uh, what surprised you and what didn't surprise you about this 51-man roster announcement? Um, Honestly, some of the names that were dropped, um, one big one that stands out, we can definitely get into it, Kenneth Farrow, running back. Um he was really good for Seattle back in uh, you know 2020, and the Renegades drop him from the roster. They do keep Davion Smith, who was the I think league leading rusher for Tampa Bay. So, you know, you do have a good running back there. But you know, there was just a, there was a couple names um, across the league that I was just like, whoa, like, oh my gosh, like they they you know pretty big names had pretty good decent careers in the NFL or in the USFL and. Now they're now they're looking for a job, so a um, little bit shocking there. But otherwise, you know, just looking at the roster for uh, the Renegades and stuff, it you know, it looks like a solid roster. So I'd love to get. Uh, I can't wait to get into that. Well, the nice thing about alternative football is that there's a lot of places that other, you know, that offer other players those uh, those opportunities. It's it's not that. Uh, the XFL is the only horse in town. Obviously, there's the CFL, there's the USFL. Um, I saw that Shea Patterson, who used to play for the Michigan Panthers in the USFL, just recently signed in Canada. So there's still opportunities for these guys, which is a really great thing that this this North American continent has a lot of opportunity. But the XFL, as we mentioned in our last episode, we are expecting to be kind of the gold standard for alternate football and so to have some of those names dropped is kind of disappointing, but we are going to have a lot to look forward to here in the, this season and on this team. Uh, let's go ahead and, and kind of give people a preview of, of how this show format is going to work. I did some research and found out that there are certain souped-up motorcycles that can have as many as four cylinders. Traditionally, it's just one or two. But if you do enough maintenance on it, you do enough work on it, you could get them up to four cylinders. And I felt like that was probably an appropriate number for the amount of content that we're going to try to cover here on this podcast. 
three years ago, back in 2020, we used to put six in the chamber, but they're kind of going with more of a motorcycle renegade vibe. Mm-hmm. They brought back the uh, the bandit logo with one of the players kind of revving up a motorcycle on the field of Choctaw Stadium. So we're going to kind of go that avenue for this iteration of Renegades Roundup. And we're going to be talking about four different segments on the show, and each of them are going to be identified by four cylinders of the motorcycle. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring us in to cylinder number one. Cylinder number one is basically just going to be taking a look at how things went around the league, but since week number one is upon us and we don't have any games to recap, uh, Joe, I figured when we're taking a look around the league for this particular episode, we can just take a look at how the teams are doing at engagement. I know we mentioned on the last episode that it seemed like it would be an expensive undertaking to be able to have these teams interact with the audience to interact with their fan bases and yet the vegas vipers are doing a select a seat coming up uh the dc defenders did a select a seat fan meet and greet uh our buddy mike from player 54 he was actually broadcasting from a meet and greet with select orlando guardians players down in south florida so with that and with the uh, fan days that the Brahmas had down in San Antonio, with the 51 players meeting fans in the concourse at the Parks Mall in Arlington, do you feel a little bit more hopeful about the type of community engagement that this league is trying to present? Yeah, no, I do for sure. Um, it's very clear that they're trying, and that's all you can ask for a league, especially a league that has the hub that, the XFL does in Arlington, um, you know, getting those teams out to their communities and letting the public, you know, get to meet them, get to see who they're going to be rooting for. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. And I, you know, hopefully that continues during the season. Again, like we talked about last week, I don't know how that'll happen because you got to fly them out to the communities and then they got to also fly for the game. Are you going to do it all in one trip? Um, stuff like that. So, It'll be interesting to see, but, you know, just seeing that they are doing these meet and greets and stuff is is pretty cool. Well, and what's also interesting is that there are going to be, I wouldn't call them meet and greets necessarily, but opportunities for people within this alternative football community to meet one another. Um, if, you, if you're a fan of the XFL, I'm assuming that you also followed uh, the Mark cast. And Reed announced that he's actually making the trip down to Arlington to watch this week one matchup between the Vipers and the Renegades. So, Yeah, XFL Outsider also is making a trip down from Houston, Nebraska with me. So uh, he's also going to uh, Arlington. So Making it a doubleheader, if I remember correctly, going to Arlington on Saturday and then headed to San Antonio for the Brahmas game on Sunday. So that's going to be a really cool one-two punch to see what the community engagement and the fan uh, turnout is going to be. Because if you're looking at the ticket sales, it seems like pretty much everybody in week one is getting close to selling out what they're hoping to sell out of. Obviously, the Alamo Dome isn't opening the second deck. Choctaw isn't opening the second deck, but there are still, I would say, very few rows of seats still available. 
There's there's very few places on uh, on ticket selling websites that seem to have an entire row with seats available. There may be like partial rows. And there may be like four seats here, three seats there, four seats there. But if you're looking at bulk tickets, I think you're you're pretty much out of the, out out of the question at this point. Yeah, no, for for sure, and that's a good sign. It's a good sign for the XFL that they're getting this kind of. Um, reaction from the xfl community from fans from people who are just trying to see maybe you know what is the xfl maybe they didn't really pay attention to 2020 now they're giving it a chance you know you know it's always good to have sellouts over you know oh crap how are we going to fill our stadium so it, it seems it looks like a good start right now for the league well the other interesting thing is and we touched on this last week uh, all three of the Texas teams are hosting in the in the first week. You got you got Houston at home, you got San Antonio at home, and you got Arlington at home. The only other team in the league that's going to be having a home opener is going to be out in D.C. playing Seattle, I believe. So it's going to be interesting to see what the state of Texas turnout is going to be versus the rest of the country. Because I speculate that the engagement in the Lone Star State has been better than the engagement in other parts of the country. I would speculate that Vegas might now has probably the worst fan engagement, the worst community outreach, and I wonder how that's going to affect their ticket sales whenever they do have their home opener. Cashman Field, we talked about it, not that great of a venue, and so uh, I'm really curious to see if that plays a part in the turnout and uh, if the state of Texas becomes like the primary place to watch XFL games. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, we talked about the the stadiums, and there are a couple that are just pure hits, perfect places. Shaka Stadium being one of them, um, DC's Field being one of them, the the Dome in St. Louis being one of them, and I think the Alamo Dome in San Antonio will also be a good one. But yeah, you know, some teams have a little bit more work to do, like you said, like Vegas, and so you know, and then that hub comes into play, and it's like, well, it, it kind of makes it a little harder if you're struggling to get that community engagement uh, off the bat makes it a little harder with this hub so it's it's just really interesting well we're not going to have to speculate for much longer because this episode is going to be coming out right before week one gets underway um what are you hoping to see from the fans in week one as we get ready for putting butts in seats the the first xfl games that we've had in three years you know, we've talked about the responsibility of the teams to get in touch with their communities. What kind of reciprocal responsibility is there, do you think, for the fan bases now to to show up and get loud and all that sort of thing? Well, I'm expecting, um, yeah, just like you said, I'm expecting fans to show up, get loud, get rowdy, just like they did in 2020. And hopefully that draws in more fans from around the country maybe even around the world to uh, you know give this give the xfl a chance i think i think a lot of people looked at what happened in 2020 and they kind of just blamed the xfl when really it was a pandemic that put that to rest so just uh just to you know 
watch the product. You know, it's going to be on TV. They're all televised. Watch the product. Watch the fan engagement. I mean, it was fun watching the Beer Snake in D.C. Um, you know, see what kind of fun hijinks are happening at these home stadiums this weekend. And, you know, really, I think this the XFL is one of those leagues you just got to gotta go all in on it. You, It's not like the NFL where... It's a a big business, you know. It's uh, it feels more like a business to me than a game, whereas college football feels a lot more like a game than a business. Now, how NIL does all that, blah blah blah. We'll see about that. But uh, to me, the XFL is kind of like college football, where it succeeds with fan participation, and so we'll have to just see what happens. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point because. From what I remember of 2020, it definitely had more of a collegiate atmosphere with the types of music that was playing, the type of chants that were happening, the halftime performances. Um, the th- there was, I think they called it a... Uh, it wasn't a, a rowdy alley or something like that where you could hang out outside before the gates open and they had music playing and they had yeah. bounce houses oh, yeah. and caricatures and, and face painting and all kinds of stuff like that. So... Uh, it definitely is trying to have more of a collegiate atmosphere. Can't help but wonder if that's going to have a different face under this different leadership. However, I think the people that really enjoyed the 2020 iteration are still around, and they're yeah. going they're going to stick around to see what this 2023 product looks like. So, I'm I'm glad that they are making those efforts, and I'm glad to see that there are people like Reed, who are making efforts to come all the way down here. People like XFL Outsider, who are making efforts to come all the way down from Nebraska. Um, that is is really telling to me about how into it people really are. If you are truly about this league, then you are going to make the trip. You are going to make the effort. And I think the hardcore XFL fans are going to be showing up in really, really strong fashion this weekend. And I'm excited for it. Me too, and and hopefully they get you know to watch a good product. As you know, now we know who is on every team. It's not really going to change much now. So, yeah, there were a lot of trades and stuff that happened right before the player deadline. There were a lot of transactions for like a cornerback here traded for a wide receiver there, type of deal. But uh, that has definitely slowed down, and as we mentioned, those numbers have been reduced all the way down to 51 and a look at that 51 man roster is exactly what our next segment is all about so let's go ahead and take us in to cylinder number two cylinder number two is usually going to be looking at last week's ball game that's what that cylinder is supposed to be about We'll take a recap of what happened in the previous game, specifically pertaining to the Renegades, but we don't have that. But what we do have is the official 51-man roster. So that's what this second segment is going to be about on this episode. And you touched on it a little bit with Pharaoh being gone at the top of the show, Joe. I think one of the other ones that really surprised me was uh, the linebacker Mueller. We talked about him last week getting cut by the team. Um there, there were a couple of other players who played in the XFL, players who had former NFL experience that did not make it to this 51-man roster. And so it's really interesting to see who's left 
and who's going to be maybe on the on the reserve list, uh, not going to be an active player, but if something happens, then you've got a couple of backups that you can call in. There's only one backup defensive back on the reserve list. Everybody else is a wide receiver or a tight end, and so uh, it's really interesting to see that they're going kind of offensive heavy with a four tight end room. I don't think I've ever seen four tight ends in a yeah, it's a lot alternate football league room. But there are four tight ends and one, two, three, four, five, six active wide receivers, three quarterbacks, and three running backs. I dare say this is a more loaded offensive unit than what the Dallas Renegades had in 2020. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm kind of a little concerned that they have four tight ends and six wide receivers, and we have three backup offensive linemen. Uh God help us if the injury bug hits our line. Uh, although we do have two former USFL all or all USFL uh, linemen in Cameron Hunt and Garrett McGinn, so a lot of talent on the line, but not a lot of depth. Same with the defensive line. I mean, you have three defensive ends and three defensive tackles, so that's two backups right there and. You know, did you need six receivers? Did you need to put a bunch of receivers and tight ends on the reserve list? I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of want to know what's going on with that offensive, you know, the offensive push that the the Renegades are doing. Otherwise, you know, you, you usually have three quarterbacks. You usually have three running backs. So nothing crazy there, but just to... The four tight ends really throws me off. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a team that has four tight ends that isn't like a college team. So, Well, the interesting thing is um, one of those is basically a giant Donald Parham-like slot receiver. Sal Canella very rarely lines up as a traditional tight end. He usually lines up in the slot the way Parham did back in 2020. So if you like really, really big receivers that have a big body, big frame, kind of the way Donald Parham was for the Dallas Renegades. Number 80 is definitely going to be somebody you're going to want to watch. 6'5", 242. And he was an all-pro at the USFL, as was his quarterback, who's also on the team, Kyle Sloter. In total, when you count Sloter, Canella, the 2-0 lineman that you mentioned, and our linebacker, number 18, Donald Payne, there's a total of five former All-USFL pros on this Renegades roster, and they come in pretty important positions. I mean, if you don't have a good O-line, then you're not having good pass protection for your quarterback. If you don't have a good quarterback, he's not getting it to these six receivers and these big tight ends. So I, I like how strategic they were in their selection process. They went with people that they felt like were the best men for the job, which is what you have to do in this league and what you have to do as a coach. But I, I'm with you as far as curiosity goes. I'm, I'm really interested to see what the thought process was in having one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight offensive linemen. You're starting five of those. So you're only going to have three men that are waiting in the wing if one of those other guys goes down. That, that can be a bit of a gamble, so we're hoping they don't have to gamble too much with that. But injury is a part of football, man, and, and that does make me a little nervous. 
Exactly. And, you know, like you said, the five All-USFL players. And then, like I said, Davion Smith, former leading rusher for the XFL in 2020. So, to be fair, this offense is absolutely loaded. The defense is going to be the one where we have some questions. Now, you do have some Names that people may recognize, you have Josh Hawkins, who was a standout for the Renegades back in 2020. You have Will Hill, who played for St. Louis. Jordan Miller played for St. Louis. Joe Powell played for St. Louis. And all of, actually, every defensive back had NFL experience. Now, whether that was practice squad or playing in a game, that's, you know, you have to go person by person and, and find that out. But, you know... Looking at the rosters, the Renegades are one of the teams that have majority of NFL experience, whether it be uh, practice squad or otherwise. A lot of there's a lot of uh, other teams that aren't or don't have that. I guess we'll call it veteran leadership. Uh, but these guys, I mean, even if you play on the practice squad, that that's a high level of football right there, and. And then, you know, not even to mention the NFL experience. I mean, a lot of these guys played for multiple teams. And, you know, that's because, you know, journeymen and whatnot. But, you know, they they, they, they they absorbed the game. They got a chance to learn from, you know, the best of the best. And I think that's going to bring a lot of, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, a lot of flavor to this team that, that a lot of teams aren't going to get. Well, and the other interesting thing, too, is there's a few players on this team that are 30 or above. So there, there is some, some youth in some players that are as young as uh, 24, I want to say, is like the, one of the youngest. Uh, Luan Winningham is 23. He's one of the wide receivers. But then you've got a couple of players like Will Hill, who you mentioned. Uh, he has been all over the football world, but he was undrafted out of 2011, and he's currently listed at 32 years of age. Uh, Russellino yeah. and Marquette King are 33 and 34 respectively on the special teams unit. Um, I'm not too worried about, I'm not too worried about special team because I mean, Venturi was what, 55, 70? How old was he when he was kicking? So, I mean, for special teams, I don't think it really matters how old you are as long as you can kick. I, th- I think there's a little bit that it matters though, because you've got to have some veterans on the squad who can calm down the young men? Because football's a oh, very... I was talking, oh, no, I was talking about just, like, playing ability. Because usually people associate age with, oh, they're starting to break down, they're not going to be as good as they were. But with special teams, I don't think that matters. But, yeah, no, you're right with the whole having uh, older players definitely brings that veteran presence to the locker room. If you've got somebody on defense that's 32 years old, even if he's not a starter, Will Hill is going to be an influence among that secondary group. Even if he doesn't see a whole lot of time, somebody like linebacker Edmund Robinson, he is 30 years of age. Uh, He and Will Clark are the two oldest men uh, among the front seven. And so you you get players like that. T.J. Barnes, who's 32, he's he's listed as a defensive end. 6'7", 335, by the way. I can't wait to see T.J. Barnes trying to pass rush the opponent's quarterbacks. That is going to be a hoss he's a, he's of a end. man. He's an end. He's, six, he's 335 pounds as a defensive end. I just... 
If he can do it, man, that's going to be scary. That's, that's what he's be really scary. That's that's what he's listed on on this spreadsheet from at XFL analyst. By the time game day comes around, who knows? He may be put up as a D, as a D tackle. That that could have been a typo. I'm hoping it isn't because seeing him pass rush the way TJ Watt does that would be hella fun. But regardless, I'm excited to see him play, and I'm excited to see what kind of veteran leadership, what kind of presence he brings to the locker room because there like I said there's a few players that are 23 24 25 but then the quarterback room Drew Plitt is 24 Kevin Anderson 28 Drew and Kyle Sloter 28 a lot of experience in age and a lot of experience in playing time from guys who have been in the CFL USFL the spring league uh, Plitt was on the Cincinnati Bengals practice squad. We've talked about Kyle Sloter, and we'll talk about him again in a little bit. Kind of a practice squad journeyman. Um, this this quarterback running back room, this backfield, is shaping up to be really dynamic. We've talked about Davion Smith, but also the Texas A&M product. Keith Ford is going to be lining up back there, 5'10", 220. And then we got kind of a shiftier back who's 5'8", 177 in the form of Adrian Killens from UCF. So... I think the type of play that Stoops likes to play is going to get executed well by this backfield. It's going to be kind of a West Coast pass-happy style offense with a lot of pro incorporations. I saw a few plays that went under center during the open practice, but the the pace, the tempo, the style of play, I think is going to be accommodated very well by these men in the backfield. Agreed. Uh, Jordan Smallwood is one of the receivers. He was uh, a wide receiver at Oklahoma back in the day and has been a bit of a journeyman as well. Played for the LA Wildcats back in 2020, now on the Renegades roster. Um, The one other one that I felt was worth mentioning was number 88 at tight end, Sean Beyer. From what I have been able to observe, and what I've observed is fairly limited, I can promise you, But from what I've been able to observe, everything that Sean Beyer is, is what Sal Canella is not. Sean Beyer did not have very flashy receiving stats coming out of the University of Iowa. When he was drafted, I tried to look up his numbers, and there was hardly anything to find. He is a blocking tight end to the very end. 6'5", 250, undrafted in 2021, but... His frame and the way that he plays the game, the film that I saw from his time at Iowa, you know what kind of offense the Hawkeyes run. It's about as traditional and pro-style as you can get. To get a tight end from a pro-style offense like that, but then also have a flex tight end the way Canella does, I think that's going to be a very interesting one-two punch in this Arlington lineup. Yeah, because you can have I don't know. You could have both of them on the line at the same time, and Sal can go out for a pass, and Sean could be back as an extra blocker. So exactly. So it's um, yeah, it's it, it, it's good to have both kinds of tight ends, and maybe that's why they did go with four tight ends. You know, you have Canella, who's more of just a bigger, slower wide receiver, and then Sean Byer, like you said, the traditional blocking tight end maybe almost a George Kittle-esque but without the uh 
pass catching ability. Um, not saying he can't catch passes, but you all know George Kittle and his athletic ability and how he plays. But uh, George Kittle is probably one of the best, if not the best, blocking tight ends in the league right now. So I I can totally see Stoops going with an empty set with two tight ends. Yeah, I I can see quarterback all by himself. And then you got Byer on one side, you got Canella lined up with fingers in the dirt on the other side, and three wideouts. And you have no idea where this ball's going to go because it, for all they know, it could still go to Byer. And maybe they're trying to incorporate him into the passing game just to fool people a little bit. So the possibilities for this offense are endless. And like you mentioned, the expertise on defense, every cornerback has been at least on a NFL practice squad, if not more than that. So there's there's a lot to be said uh, about this team. Any final thoughts on the Arlington 51-man roster before we move on? On paper, this is the best team in the XFL. And so we'll just have to see what the product on the field shows. And I feel good about it. I don't know, man. On paper, there's a lot of firepower in places like Vegas and D.C. too. I mean, when like like we talked last week, any team that's got Jordan Tamu on it is one to watch out for, and we still don't know who's won the quarterback battle in Vegas between Perez and Hunley, and we're not going to find out until Saturday, most likely. That's that's fair, but um, I think the fact that, like we said, there's five all USFL players on the Renegades, and that line has two of them, uh, which. Games are one of the trenches, and so I, I think the lines for the, uh, Arlington are better than Vegas and D.C. D.C. might have the edge at quarterback, like you said with Tamu. Um, Vegas, you know, Hundley or Perez, honestly, neither of them really scare me. So It's a bold claim. Well, we're going we're gonna to see on ABC in just a, just a little while here, very, very few days away, from when the season kicks off and uh, I'm really looking forward to watching and observing not just what the fan reception is in person but I'm looking forward to stalking some people online to see what the reception is on the internet as well Mm because everybody's coming off of that Super Bowl high and I want to see people get high on the XFL so I'm definitely going to do my part hope you guys are too that's it for the commentary on the 51 man roster Let's go ahead and rev this thing up to cylinder number three. Cylinder number three is basically going to be a player profile. Uh, It could be a player of the week, somebody that really showed out during last week's game, or it could just be a certain personality that we wanted to highlight and give some attention to. Uh, One of the very first episodes of Renegades Roundup that we did back in 2020 was a look at the projected starting quarterback. He did become the starter, but then he also got hurt in Landry Jones. And the team just really wasn't the same without a healthy Landry Jones. And I really feel like, Joe, that um, Coach Stoops has kind of learned his lesson from that, where there's not as significant of a drop-off between QB1 and QB2. Um... In fact, it's such a tight battle right now. There are some projections from some experts saying it could be Drew Plitt, or it could be the person that we're talking about on this episode, number 10, Kyle Sloter. 
where do you stand on this particular debate? Do you see Plitt having the edge, or do you see Sloter having the edge? I, I'm not entirely sure. I think there's a lot of unknowns because both of these guys were practice squad players in the NFL. Sloter obviously traveled a lot more, but you know, fun fact: if you didn't know, if you didn't know this about Kyle Sloter, he started at Southern Miss as a tight end. He did not play quarterback until his senior year of college at Northern Colorado, where he threw for 2,656 yards, a 62% completion rating, 29 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. So, you know, interesting to start playing quarterback, you know, right before you go uh, to the draft, and he was not uh, invited to the combine, or was he... uh, um, nor was he drafted, but he did, you know, get undrafted. And in his time in the NFL, he was with Denver, Minnesota, Arizona, Detroit, Chicago, Vegas, and Jacksonville. And so, you know, you just looking at those teams, he got to be under the wing of, I don't know who Denver was in 2017. Um, Minnesota though, got to learn from Kirk Cousins, um, and then Arizona was 2019. Uh, he was a practice squad player. So was that Kyler Murray or is that right before Kyler Murray? I might have been just before him. I think Murray yeah. was 2020. Yeah. So right before I was, I mean, I don't even remember who the quarterback was there. Uh, the Lions, so Stafford was still there in 2019. Uh, the Bears in 2020. Okay, well, you know, Trubisky's not the greatest, I guess. But uh, the Raiders in 2021. So Derek Carr, Vikings, Kirk Cousins again, and then he, you know, then he went to the USFL, and then he got a shot with the Jaguars in 2022. He was on the practice squad there, so he's been around, and he's played. Uh, in the USFL, he didn't play in the NFL. He has no NFL stats, but you know he was all USFL, like we said in 2022. So he's not—it's not terrible when it comes to XFL standards. And I—I I personally feel like he is the person that you exactly want in a league like the XFL. Yeah, Th- this guy has been so close to making it to the NFL and has come up just barely short. This is from a a Reddit thread from his time in in Minnesota. Um, He played four preseason games with the Vikings in his first stint. And according to a Reddit thread, I'm going to be very strict about this. This is from somebody's Reddit thread. I'm not saying it's 100% accurate. But the thread says he went 111 for 150, which is 74% for 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns, and one pick during his preseason time with the Vikings. So this dude was making... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I hope that's true. <laughs> he was he was super accurate. 11 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio is absolutely fantastic. And he had a really great showing at the USFL like you talked about, Joe. I mean, the dude was, I want to say, uh, one, 168 for 291, which is almost 58% completion percentage, second most passing yards in the league behind only Jordan Tamu, who played one more game than Sloter did. 1,798 yards. Uh, He averaged 200 passing yards a game, 199.8, with nine passing touchdowns. 
earning him all pro nominations in the USFL's inaugural year. And a lot of those connections, let's be honest, were to Sal Canella. So uh, it's really great to see the two of them partnered up again. But Sloter is the type of guy from Denver to Minnesota to Arizona, Detroit. He, he's just kind of bounced his way through different pro organizations, been a part of different practice squads. He's had to move countless times all for this pursuit of football, all for this desire to be a professional quarterback. And that desire seems to be paying off now that he has made his way to the XFL. He'll be donning number 10, and he's already on certain promo materials advertising season tickets and you know game day festivities and whatnot for uh, this 2023 season. But... It's just, it's so fascinating to see how far he's come, but also how much he still has yet to prove. I think that's exactly what the XFL is all about. No, you hit it on the head. That's exactly what The Rock wanted when he took over the league with Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital. They wanted an opportunity. They wanted to give an opportunity to these guys that, like you said, journeymen in the NFL maybe didn't play a lot, maybe weren't on the active roster a lot they were just practice squad players and this gives them a chance to show their stuff and maybe possibly get a look at the nfl again and you know we saw that work for uh uh uh, oh gosh walker pj walker yeah pj walker uh donald parham um Heineke, you know, Heineke made it to Washington. Heineke made it to Washington, and he played. So, Parham is still playing for the L.A. Chargers. Yeah, so this gives guys like Sloter a chance to really just show what they have to offer. And I have a good feeling. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna tear it up uh, if he's you know if he's a starter. I think it's interesting that you like you said that there's conversations that plit. Might be giving him a run for his money. And honestly, I think that's good. I think it's good to have two quarterbacks that are, you know, high caliber when it comes to the XFL. Because, you know, we saw that in 2020 with Landry Jones and Philip Nelson. The drop-off was just so steep. And the Renegades really didn't recover back then. So, I, I think, you know, with Sloter, if he gets the starting nod, which I would put money on it, I'd say he would. He's going to be the starter this weekend. I think the Renegades are in a very good position. Well, and I, I think the other thing to consider as well is that, it, like you mentioned, it's good to have that many uh, competent players at different skill positions because there are times where maybe somebody gets beat out and they kind of throw a bit of a temper tantrum because they didn't get the starting job that they were hoping for. I can only assume that that's what happened with Ryan Willis when he got released from the Battle Hawks. A.J. McCarron beat him out, and he didn't want to be somebody's backup. He wanted a chance to go and be a starter somewhere, and he ended up signing with the Memphis Showboats, formerly Tampa Bay Bandits of the USFL. So, you know, it's great that there are that many leagues with that many opportunities, but what kind of a testament is that to Willis as a teammate that he would rather go somewhere else than try to leg this thing out and see what happens because Landry Jones went down week one 
What happens when McCarron goes down week one and you don't have a Ryan Willis there to fill the gap? I mean, it, it, it's a tough break for everybody concerned, but uh, I'm particularly really glad that we've got the people that we do in that quarterback room. I saw yep. all three of them play on the open practice, and all three of them looked like they understood the offense, understood what was expected of them, and they played hard every down. Yep, so like I said, Renegades are in a good position. Well, I think we're in a pretty good position as well to finish up talking about Kyle Sloter. We seem to be of the impression that he could end up being QB1 by Saturday, but only time will tell. And speaking of time, it is time for our fourth and final segment of the evening. It's time for Cylinder Number 4. Cylinder number four is just going to be a look at the upcoming opponent and make any kind of predictions and uh, ideas, testaments that we may think could come to pass as we get ready for the upcoming game. Usually we have a little bit of data to back that off of, but since there haven't been any games played, we're kind of going into this one blind. Arlington, Las Vegas, Choctaw Stadium, Vegas has been practicing here in the DFW area, so you know climate and temperature is not really going to be a concern for them because this is where they've been practicing. So what kind of an edge do you think Arlington may have in this game against Vegas, Joe? And how can they utilize that? How can they find a way to win here in week one? Well, with, you know... A lot of unknowns, no games have been played yet. Having the home field advantage is important as long as the Renegades fans show up and show out. You gotta get there, you gotta be loud and rowdy and definitely get in the Vegas Vipers' heads. According to BetUS, uh, the Renegades are two point favorites right now and the game total is 39.5. Um, you know, like like everyone's still kind of getting used to this the new, the new league and you know, don't want to put anything huge out there. I don't want to make any huge lines or anything like that. So, um, I think the Renegades just, it's really, it really, there is not much you can say. It's just, let's go see what happens. It's just, it's just like the first game of, of any league out there. The MLB, the NFL, college football. You don't know what you have until you step foot on the field. So we'll we'll get a chance to see you know who the starters are for the Renegades, who the starters are for the Vipers, um, and how they perform. My two cents are going to be this: regardless of who's the quarterback, and regardless of what the two deep chart looks like, you win the game a by scoring the most points. That's the most obvious thing, but you also win like you were talking about in the trenches. You mm -hmm. also win by playing fundamentals. And I think as long as Dallas is able to... Not Dallas, Arlington. Wow, I'm still not breaking that trend. I still have not broken that trend of Dallas versus Arlington. And I live in the freaking city, dude. Yeah, come on, man. I gotta work on that. If Arlington can minimize their penalties, and if Arlington can minimize turnovers... Turnovers was a big thing that plagued the Dallas Renegades back in 2020. Like, even Landry Jones was throwing multiple interceptions a game. I think if turnovers are minimized and penalties are minimized, 
then Arlington's got a good chance because of that hometown crowd like you talked about, because of the unknowns. But I really do think it may come down to some of those in the trenches type things. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a kind of a lofty prediction out there. Okay. And I'm gonna say that with all of the quarterback uncertainty, Davion Smith runs for a hundred yards in the win. Okay. I could see that. Good good offensive line, good running back there. Uh, I think that the Renegades are a dual threat team. I think you you can run for a hundred yards, and I think you know if the quarterback has the time to throw the ball, I think that they can be a passing offense as well. So, you know, when it comes to points for this game, it's again you know up in the air. But I I feel pretty confident enough to say the Renegades will probably score twenty eight. I think that's fair. And I think I think I think I think final score personally, I think it's gonna be like twenty eight twenty four. I think, you know, the defenses are gonna need to work some kinks out on both sides of the ball. Um but like you said, with Davion Smith running for a hundred yards, which I, 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 I believe it, I think they'll they'll be able to chew clock and the renegades will win that close one, they'll cover and the over will hit. So there you go if you want to bet on this game. <laughs> I, I I do not, um, but I've got reasons for why I don't, um, reasons that I probably should not disclose at this given time, but, <laughs> but go follow me on social media and you might find out why uh, I'm not going to be much of a wagering man during this XFL season, and it's going to be for damn good reason. Um, yeah. I, I do see Arlington pulling out the win, and as I mentioned on the last episode, I see this as the future championship game. I think yeah. I think Vegas has all the right pieces to be a very good team and win the North Division. I think Arlington has all the right pieces to be a very good team and win the South. And I see this as the potential championship game being played right here in Week One. But I don't think it's going to be as high octane and as and as exciting as the championship game will turn out to be. So uh, I'm probably going to be in a in a very similar boat uh, as you. But I think, I think Stoops is going to be the type of guy that goes for two. So I don't know if we're going to be seeing a whole lot of multiples of seven. Oh, that's right. I don't. I forgot. There is no extra points like that. So there's there's the one point, the two point, and the three points. The three point, yeah. I don't think he's going to have the the guts to go for three quite often. But I think the statistics will be in his favor of going for two, and I think it'll be probably a a 32 point showing for Arlington and you know what I'll I'll go with the I'll go with the 24 and see if that's how much Vegas can put up I'm going to go with 32 24 for my final score all right we'll see how all of that goes in just a matter of hours by the time y'all have a chance to listen to this episode and uh, it's going to be a really fun weekend. All eight teams are going to be playing, and we're going to have mm-hmm. uh, a lot more to recap on next week's episode. But that's just about it for this edition of Renegades Roundup. Joe, where can the folks at home keep up with you when they're not tuning into this? You can follow me on Twitter at TV. Um I tweet some funny stuff. It's, it, it, and I, unfortunately, I won't be able to watch a game this weekend. I have a date 
with the girlfriend and her parents were doing the, the horse races here in Nebraska. So uh, I'll uh, I'll keep track on my phone, but won't be able to just sit down and watch it. So I apologize. I know I'm a terrible podcast host for not watching the game, but uh, I'll, I'll keep track, and so that way we're able to have a good conversation for next week's episode. But yeah, well. I think people can understand that you're being a good boyfriend, though. So yeah, that's true. Nobody's so exactly. nobody nobody's gonna hold that against you, and if they do, then they'll have to have words with me. Oh hey hey! As as for me, just go follow at Zach the Voice on all the different socials: Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you might find a social media handle. You can find at Z A C H the Voice, and be sure to go follow Renegades Roundup on Facebook and look for Renegades underscore Pod on Twitter for when new episodes drop and for any commentaries or photos or whatever else type of media you may find from either one of us over the course of this XFL opening weekend. I think that's it. I think it's time to actually wrap this episode up. Uh, Ironically, it lasted about as long as the previous episode did, but (laughs) we're going to tighten it up. Don't worry, folks. Um, But that is going to be it for this edition of Renegades Roundup. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you tune into the next one. For Joe, I'm Zach, reminding you all that in between these podcast episodes go out there and raise some hell